This is the fear of science. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to The Fear of Science, the show that dives into the wide world of science and science-adjacent topics to demystify, debunk, and delight. Each show features a new science sphere along with special guests and more surprises along the way. My name is Daniel Chai. I'm Jeff Porter. And today, uh, we are here at the Vancouver Public Library Inspiration Lab to talk about Fear of abortion. Fear of abortion. Uh, definitely a, 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 a absolutely huge topic um, that Jeff and I are looking forward to learning with all of you. And luckily here at the Inspiration Lab, we are joined by some very special guests who are here to teach us uh, some things that we maybe didn't know and continue the conversation. Uh, who do we have over here? Hi, my name is Joyce Arthur, and I'm the founder and uh, executive director of the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. And it's the uh, pro-choice group that uh, advocates for abortion access and defends abortion rights uh, for the country. And I've been a lifelong feminist, I think since the age of nine or 10, ever since I ever first thought about it. And so it was a natural fit for me, especially coming from a, a very religious household that I kind of escaped from that and realized that sexual autonomy was extremely important for everyone. Wonderful, thank you for being here. Hello, I'm uh, France Emmanuel Jolie. I'm the, currently the executive director of the Vancouver Women's Health Collective, and I'm also involved with a uh, francophone organization by the name of the Réseau Femmes Colombie-Britannique. Both organizations work for uh, for women and the full uh, um, the full uh, embodiment of uh, of women and in their freedom and in their rights. And uh, uh, obviously, the collective focuses more on health. And I think that. Uh, abortion is part of women's social uh, life and reproductive life uh, as well, even though we all agree that it is not a method of contraception. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I'm very happy to be here and uh, help maybe enlighten or uh, share some experience and uh, uh, bring some, uh, some uh, different ideas up. And uh, I realized that uh, Joyce, who we met quite a few years ago, mm -hmm. uh, and I have uh, quite a fair bit in common, in addition to uh, uh, both being pro-life. Uh, no, sorry, pro-choice. Yeah, pro <laughs> Surprise. Yeah. Oh, God, oh, God. Well, you know, I always say We can get that. We can, fix, yeah. we can fix that. Pro-life, I'm for the life of women. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But definitely feminist and raised by very Catholic parents, and that created a lot of uh, tension in the family. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I am Emma Cooper. I am a comedian, and <laughs> I I just like that your podcast description says featuring scientists and common people. <laughs> and so I'm going to be a common person and uh, going to have some ill-informed hot takes. Uh, maybe I don't know. Do we need more of that in the world? Um, no, I. That's I, Twitter. <laughs> that's Twitter. Yeah, we'll leave that on Twitter. I uh, I uh, I'm a comedian. I am also a feminist. Uh, I'm someone 
someone who's like teetering on the verge of non-binary, but I haven't really committed to it yet. Uh, and I do, I host a show called Rape is Real and Everywhere, which is a stand-up comedy show uh, featuring survivors. It'll be in this year's Vancouver Fringe. Our opening night is September 6th at 5 p.m. And yeah, so I'm, I like joking about hard stuff because I think catharsis uh, gives us a space to have a good conversation. Mm-hmm. And when I was putting it together, I've wanted to do this episode for a long time. Uh, it was kind of one of the first ones we talked about when we came up with ideas for the show. Um, but it kind of, it's such a difficult subject to bring up um, that I wasn't sure how to go about it. And part of it too is I wanted someone who was a comedian um, or an entertainer, but how do you how do you find someone to talk about abortion? And when your name came up, I was like, it's perfect, perfect. Yeah, it's, it's super creepy to just kind of hang around the comedy clubs going like yo you've had abortion and i should say like i haven't had an abortion i am not an expert so I'm just totally ill-informed over here yeah. uh, which is which is great because um uh, what we try and do here on the fear of science is to uh, uh to try and dive into all of these subjects some a little bit lighter some definitely uh, uh, bigger and and broader um, and uh, we wanted to make sure that we have people on all sides that we can uh, talk about whether it be experts and also people who uh, are here to learn as well so mm-hmm. thank you so the first question we ask um, on every episode is why are people afraid of it so why do why do you think people are afraid of abortion well, uh, there's sort of two aspects to that, and one is that the anti-abortion movement, I like to call them the anti-choice movement because they're against uh, women's choices, um, try to make abortion a scary thing for women. Mm-hmm. So when it's illegal, for example, women are afraid of a, going for an unsafe abortion. Um, and all the laws against abortion, the restrictions, all the stigma, you know, telling women that uh, abortion is going to cause breast cancer, it's going to make you infertile, meant to scare women. So there's that level of fear. But then on the other side of the coin, I think the anti-choice people themselves are afraid of abortion, or maybe more correct to say they're, that they're afraid of, of women controlling their bodies. They're afraid of women's independence and autonomy. Uh, the, the idea that uh, a man, like under patriarchy, the man kind of owns the woman and their children, and she can just go off by herself and get rid of that baby, that's kind of like verboten to the anti-choice movement. So they have this fear uh, of abortion in terms of the power it gives to women. Right. Totally agree with that. I think that it's also what it's 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 difficult to experience it oneself. But it, the fear of what we have not experienced is also something that can come up. And then uh, social pressure, uh, political will, as Joyce was mentioning, is also something that will come into play because every fear is something that is also a way to control a population. Right. Whether it's a segment of the population or the population in general. And uh, playing on people's fears and what they do not know and what, they're, what they can't necessarily inform themselves about is, uh, is an easy way to make people do things that a government or uh, a set group of people want the general population to do or to believe. And I 
you definitely feel that abortion falls under that category. Hmm. Are you saying that there's some kind of, there's some country that uh, has a politician that really works on fear or something? <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that everybody can have a name that pops into mind. Uh, it's, um, I'm, I'm speaking generally that, um, yeah. you know, fear is, is definitely something that, that drives us and that can make us uh, take, make decisions that are, um, I could go as far as saying that fear is very useful in uh, in uh, terms of manipulation, uh, and I I believe that allowing people to be informed is something that is very important. And it's uh, after that, it should be up to people to make up their their opinion and their choice based on the information that they have. So it doesn't mean that everybody has to agree. Right. But there are some people who are more um, affected or impacted by abortion and those people should have access to the information they need and be able to make their own choices based on that. Right, right. Yeah. Um, oh, sorry. So I, did, I think information is such an interesting point and, and fear and I think there's always been control around information about um, people's bodies and specifically people who are femme, uh, femme's bodies. But the idea that uh, we're all kind of getting our own information these days and we don't know what other people have access to because of how social media is, is kind of an, I just think such an interesting, kind of scary, uh, like next phase of, of misinformation and information. Uh, and the fact that I look on my Facebook and me and my woke activist comedy friends uh, are like, you know, swapping reasonable information back and forth in my little world and then I don't know what other people are getting and then when you sort of have those moments where someone shares a meme around that's not targeted for you and you're like, like that's what someone else's Facebook right. looks like. Yeah. like oh my gosh there's someone doing hacky Photoshop jobs and they're you know and they're really they're really using a lot of red on on that that ad or whatever and and so I think uh, what access and, and what what is on people's social medias as far as um, yeah the information getting around is pretty fascinating now too yeah and I think um, like the internet is it is an amazing thing and we have access to so much information but the problem is that we have access to so much false information as well and whatever your opinion is you can find an endless amount of information to back up whatever you think is. yeah because the lizard people are in parliament well that's obviously true <laughs> thank you <Yeah>. okay. <laughs> <laughs> want to clear that up <laughs> i would like to add to that that we're we can't look at abortion as a silo it's connected to so many other topics and so many other attitudes beliefs mentalities uh, that are, you know, more broadly associated to gender and to sexuality. And again, those are conversations that need to happen because if they don't happen in an open way, then we're just going to stay stuck. Mm -hmm. and, uh, yeah, so I agree because, um, I mean, I wanted to state also that, of course, some transgender people and non-binary people need abortions as well and, yeah. and yeah. sexual health, and they often have a lot of trouble accessing health care because of the stigma and the discrimination. And in, in the whole um, uh, transgender rights movement is also something that the right wing is very afraid of in terms of, you know, like I, I read a lot of anti-choice um, uh, misinformation, let's call it, at their propaganda, and uh, they have a lot of stuff against, you know, transgender rights, and it's, it's sickening to read. Actually, it's sickening. It's 
is so hateful and bigoted. And um, and then, but ARC, our group, uh, Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada, is trying to become very inclusive towards um, trans rights. Um, so I feel really great about that. But it also means, uh, yes, that the whole social justice movement is, is, is more unified in the sense of we're looking out for the rights of minorities and uh, gender minorities uh, and uh, we're fighting against this right-wing behemoth that kind of hates all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Is it um, equaling out in a way, like by by getting more people involved on on the one? It feels like it's very like two-sided. It's like us versus them, the the right-wing uh, corporate like crap fest <laughs> versus the uh, the everybody else. And is it that way? I don't know. This is just like you mentioned about the my Facebook environment. Um, I my cocoon, I call it. Yeah, my cocoon. <laughs> uh, I feel like everybody I know is exactly the same as me, but I know that's not real. Right. Well, I think social media does create these bubbles because when you're on Facebook and Twitter, you, you're, Facebook especially, you collect your own friends, your own interests, and you don't even see what else is going on in the outside world. And then if you look down in the States, for example, what I've been really struck by is the Christian right down there is built their whole own society. They have their own institutions. They have their own schools. They have their own media. Um, so they're they're already kind of isolated, and they're, they're following a completely different narrative than the rest of us. Right. Like it's almost half of what they believe, or maybe most of what they believe is like really the exact opposite sort of the truth. Yeah. So it's quite a, kind of disturbing and they're impervious to facts and reason. Um, so this is another thing about, you know, like information about how do we get out the um, accurate information that people need that a lot of people are not getting at all. So uh, would you say that, uh, you know, this this uh, desire to to get out the information, um, but is that what inspired uh, the two of you and your organizations uh, to to begin and to start? Uh, what, what was the, what are the roots of how uh, the Abortions Rights Coalition of Canada and Vancouver Women's Health Collective, how did they get started? Do you want to go first? Because you actually started your organization. I just had the long gun in line. Sure. Uh, I mean, I've been working with another group, a provincial group here in BC called the Pro-Choice Action Network up until um, from about like 1990 onwards. And then uh, we had an NDP government for a while, and then it seems things are pretty good in, in BC in terms of abortion rights. Uh, they were doing a lot of good stuff. And so I was starting to look nationally and realizing there's all these national issues that need looking at. So I thought, well, I should turn this group into a national group. And then long story short, I just ended up creating a whole different group. Uh, and it, we founded it in 2005. And basically, uh, it was partly because there was another national group that um, disbanded, saying basically, oh, we've achieved what we wanted, we've got rid of the abortion law, so we don't really feel we need a national political group anymore. Right. And so I disagreed. And uh, I think, you know, it's always something that's very much needed. And we've certainly done a lot of political work over the years, like fighting back, you know, anti-choice restrictions in parliament and things like that. So I think it is really, really important. and. Um, and I think it's really important, even though in Canada uh, we have a better record in terms of uh, our human rights and social justice and abortion rights legally are pretty solid, but um, it's always important to always fight against any threat um, because um, you can never be complacent about your rights because they could be taken away when you're not looking. Or um, So that's kind of our philosophy is we just uh, are always aware of the risks and fight against them. So your motto is more like, Rights are like keys. We could lose them at any minute. Yeah. 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 Do you do you ever get to like um, 
meet up with the people that thought we didn't need a national coalition and just like kind of rub it in their face now. Like, <laughs> just like, oh, I'm pretty right. <laughs> it's a hot mess. <laughs> That's what I would do. That's why I'm not head of an organization. <laughs> and for the Vancouver Women's Health Collective, uh, do you know the, uh, yeah, what are the roots for, for how it got started? And Absolutely. I can tell you how it got started. It got started by a group of women who were just totally fed up with being told what to do with our bodies by male doctors and also who were told not to worry about side effects, about this and that and to do things the way they were told to do it, who were also um, experiencing uh, access to medical services that were still to this day mainly built on uh, um, men, on their biology, on their reactions, on their symptoms. Uh, and to just give a quick example of one of the things that I remember reading about uh, volunteers doing at the Vancouver Women's Health Collective was to actually uh, get a group of medical students in and uh, teach them to warm up the speculum before doing an, an examination. So. See, see some people. Yeah, no, it's like, <laughs> a little bit. Cool. This is just such a, <laughs> such a bummer. And, and you know, when I read it, I went, "Oh, yeah, that's interesting." I thought that you know the medical world had thought about it by themselves. <laughs> Obviously not. So it's those kind of uh, considerations that got the women together. They started talking to each other and realizing that hey, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who has. Uh, this concern and the uh, the idea was to bring women together to share the information that each one of them was gathering and based on the uh, the foundational idea that uh, women are the experts of their their own body mm -hmm. yeah absolutely that's amazing Wow. Um, I just want to say I love a warm speculum, so <laughs> that's great. That's, I don't that's even know what work. that is. <laughs> don't edit it out. <laughs> um, Anyone I would have brought one. <laughs> <laughs> to, to jump back uh, a little bit, um, I'm just kind of jumping around my questions here. Um, both of you mentioned that you had a religious background. Uh, one of my questions was, how much does the fear of abortion uh, come from religion? How much does that influence um, the fear and the, the pro-life movement? I think a lot of it. I mean, uh, I've been studying them for a few decades now, and the vast majority of anti-choice people are religious. Yeah, um, They're always trying to point to the few that aren't. Um, there's maybe a handful of atheists that you come across, and most of them are men. <laughs> um, so I think it, and what you also see is, is it's not just men, although men are often the leaders of the anti-choice movement, but there's a lot of women as well. And, you know, you makes you wonder, why are women yeah. against their own human rights? And it's because I think religion is intruding and uh, clouding their vision, really. And, um, uh, and the Bible is quite clear that women are basically, you know, the help meet of man. They're, they're not human beings in their own right. Um, and the religious viewpoint is that women's job is just to have babies. 
And uh, that's what they really believe if you talk to an anti-choice person. Um, they think abortion is wrong because women are meant to have babies. And if a woman does have an abortion, she's she's being coerced or she doesn't know her own mind. And, and um, uh, it's just a terrible thing. And of course, it's going to cause all kinds of harm and uh, because it's, it's unnatural. So she's going to suffer from breast cancer and nightmares and suicidal tendencies. So they believe all this stuff because they're so um, convinced that women are childbearers. Um, and that is sort of a, a doctrine from God, and uh, that's kind of uh, that's that's what they believe, and that's what, kind of what we're fighting against. Like, it, there's not really much common ground, I think, between uh, you know pro-choice and, and anti-choice movements because we're just in um, in favor of human liberty for all and women's autonomy. That we are human beings in our own right. Uh, we don't have to have babies to validate our existence, <laughs> and um, and and there's so there's no sort of talking back and forth on that on that sense. So, uh, yeah, and I certainly grew up in a very religious place that was, um, everyone around me was anti-abortion. I remember, if I can tell a story, the first time I ever even really thought about abortion was when I was 15, and I think it was around 1970 or 71, just after uh, the uh, uh, law had been liberalized for the first time in, in 69, the abortion law. And uh, I was at church on a Sunday, and the minister came out afterwards, and we were milling around in front of the church, and he was getting everyone to sign a petition to recriminalize abortion. No, and I didn't have to sign because I was underage, but I remember thinking, oh, I think women should be allowed to have an abortion if they want one. I didn't say it out loud, but everyone else was signing the petition. I thought, oh, God, I, I, don't, I don't really belong here. <laughs> so that was the one thing that kind of started me on my journey, I guess. Hmm. Huh. So I was raised by very Catholic parents who are still very Catholic and uh, had to, uh, well, I had a conversation with my mother because she had to come to terms with the, with the fact that, full disclosure, I had an abortion when I was in my can't even remember, just early 20s, turning 20 or just about to turn 21. Um, and uh, if we have time, I have a little side story to that. The uh, You know, it'll I look super bad if they don't make time for that side story. <laughs> <laughs> like, if we have time, no big deal. Again, as I was saying earlier, the the uh, idea is that abortion is not just in a silo. It's just not, we're not talking about abortion as a, a unique question, a standalone. Uh, abortion is, as uh, Joyce was mentioning, very much attached to the role that the church gives to uh, to women as being the childbearer. But it's also, you know, and then you can take off and run with that uh, in the fact that you're also talking about the survival of a name, of a line, of a population, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that fits very well into all the discourse of uh, you know making sure that there are as many white people as possible and that we don't have too many people of color or too many indigenous people. So there's there's that part, that aspect of the question that uh, comes into play. But back to the main question. Uh, so yes, my parents being uh, very um, religious brought us up with that idea that abortion is a no-no in the same way having sex out of wedlock is a no-no. Right. Well. I lived in sin from age whatever, and uh, had sex without being married, and uh, had an abortion, and um, and I still talk to my parents, and they still talk to me. That's good. Uh, <laughs> but um, uh, my mother, in particular, really had to come to terms with the fact that 
I had done something that went against the way they raised us. Right. And the only way she could come to terms with it was to, and she told me this, was to create what I call this story where she reassured herself that this child that I got rid of is now with God because Mm. it died. And so it's now in heaven because it was an innocent soul. Mm. And that was, so she's never been able to acknowledge or to take into consideration my own agency. Mm. And very often it's something that we see over and over again about women's bodies, women's health, uh, women's as women as human beings is that the agency of women is removed from from their hands right right wow yeah that uh that's that's crazy <laughs> i don't even know what I to think, say <laughs> I, I think so so if we have two minutes for the side story yeah please here and the side story is that when I had that abortion, I was just a few weeks away from being at the age where I could have my own medical coverage. So I was still under my parents' coverage. And it shouldn't have been a problem because, you know, you go in for an abortion, it's taken, well, at, sorry, at the time I was living in France, you, um, you're, you're taken care of by your gynecologist, uh, you don't pay anything, it's totally, it's fully covered, except, some people like me have uh, um, a little bit of a unique situation. And so instead of uh, having a half day um, surgery or, or intervention, I had to stay overnight. And then the hospital had to charge for that night. So they had to call my parents. Oh. And, um, and then my, so my parents had to, to pay for that. And then my parents had to had the humiliation of having to push all the way through um, through local politicians to get reimbursement because for whatever reason the um, local MSP didn't want to reimburse something that was fully taken charge of yeah so it's it's just i added insult to injury uh, <laughs> for, for my parents because they had to make it public right so to speak that's abortion stigma uh, that right. that they're yeah and it is right. abortion stigma and for me i was saying i'm sorry that you have to go through all that stuff but this is this is about fairness and this is about justice because i I'm totally entitled to this under the Medical Act or the Health Act of the country that we're living in. Mm -hmm. But that's, again, a difference between what is on paper and what the habits are and what the personal beliefs of some um, medical practitioners can also be. And, you know, there can be all sorts of excuses that are side excuses for not providing an abortion or for not providing certain types of, uh, of health care to women. Right. So your parents became one of the most unlikely advocates, in a sense, in that, you know, because... That's the only time they ever advocated for abortion in their entire life. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it will happen again. No. <laughs> the uh, 
That um, uh, that thing that you said about those little side things, like this is on paper, what should happen, and then in reality, the services that are provided, I think, is such a such a theme that we see for so many people accessing lots of different healthcare too. So it's it seems like such a um, just a more and more relatable theme for more and more people. Where you said we we're talking about this level of healthcare that's really high that we have, and the reality is we say free free healthcare in Canada, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the pill is covered for you if you don't have insurance. Or it doesn't, you know, all of these little things and and sort of how, um, you know, if you're already a busy person who has kids or has uh, is is on low income and has other stressors or things going on in their life, how are you supposed to navigate doing the paperwork to get all of these things going so that you can access it? And I mean, I just think bureaucracy and you see that bureaucracy is just the slow way to kind of dismantle some of these these progresses that that you guys have been making for everyone. Yeah, I totally agree. And I wanted to uh, link that back to the, the religion thing because, um, I mean, what's on paper or the law is one thing, but when you're in the healthcare system, it can be quite different in terms of there's gatekeepers. Yeah. And one perfect example, it's a huge problem around the world and in Canada as well, is we have these so-called conscientious objectors, uh, basically doctors or other healthcare personnel who refuse, based on their religious beliefs usually or personal reasons, to do any kind of treatment they disagree with. You know, like abortion is the, the, the main example, but also contraception and uh, sometimes vasectomy and um, treatments for healthcare for trans transgender people. So uh, it's it very be, much like a hairdresser who doesn't want to cut a mullet for someone, right? Yeah. It's just like yeah. a personal choice. Yeah. Yeah. But that's more understandable. Yeah, that's, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. And yet, at the same time, you probably have those same people who have been involved, not pointing any fingers, just speaking generally again, uh, in sterilization of indigenous women yeah, who would wake up after having their first child that most of the time would be taken from them and uh, would be, um, you know, no longer able to have children if they chose to. And nobody asked for their opinion. And I am not sure uh, to which extent, uh, you know, sterilization has totally disappeared uh, from Canada. I don't know when it was last performed, but I know someone who is about my age, maybe a few years older, and who has experienced that. Wow. Yeah. So it's it's not very far as yeah, you're saying. Scary. You, you think of it as something like way in the past. For granted. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. you can't take things for granted. So, and then and then the the one thing that I always bring up in all of these conversations is so what about the guys? Yeah, that's true. What about men? Yeah. You know, so who why is it always oh she got pregnant? Yeah. Well, I'm sorry, aside from a story in the Bible, uh, there is no historical example of a woman who got pregnant by miracle. Yeah. A guy, a penis with sperm had to be involved. Yeah. And we don't talk about that. And that's why I'm also saying we need that aspect of education and understanding and access to information because we're doing nobody a service by hiding, you know, behind, oh no, we can't have sex ed in schools and things like that. Uh, we can't hide behind that. Mm -hmm. if, we, if we don't want women to have abortions, where we have to make sure that everybody knows how you get pregnant. Yeah, yeah. But they don't want women to have, <clears throat> they don't want women to have sex. <laughs> no, they yeah. don't want women to have sex. However, oh, 
it's absolutely normal that a man who's marrying a virgin would have had previous experience because he needs to know what to do with his wife. Yeah. And if it's illegal for abortions, it should be illegal for men to masturbate because uh, every sperm is sacred then. Well, and, and you know, if you want to go one step further, then uh, why do we never talk about vasectomies? And, yeah, right. uh, it's, it's also it's still hush-hush and it's, you know, like, why not? Yeah, actually, one of the things I was going to say is that I've actually I had a vasectomy when I was in my early 20s. And the only time that I felt that kind of pushback of my own, my body not being under my own control is when I went to the doctor and just got just drilled by the doctor of whether I wanted to have a vasectomy, whether I was sure, like I've been child free by choice my entire life. Um, and yeah, it was just... It's crazy how much that doctor was able to ask me when it was my own decision of what I wanted to do. Doctors love babies. They do. They're just <laughs> into them. Well, it's uh, everybody loves babies. Afraid, it's job security. Job security. Trial. Legal proceedings and all of that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so what can uh, what can men do to support and to to learn and to and to um, and to help? What can we What can we do? Such a big, broad question, I realize, but... Um, Vasectomies. Yeah. <laughs> that was, we, we stated that, right? Done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Your work is... Great! Done. Yeah. <laughs> well, it can, be, it can be a whole range of conversations. Yes, vasectomies is, is, is an answer for people who do not want to have children. Mm. And in, you know, in the same way women have the choice to... Uh, to have uh, their tubes tied, and men have a choice to have a vasectomy, as you were expressing, Jeff. And uh, but again, it's so it, it's not. Uh, it doesn't mean that everybody has to have that little snip surgery, but it has to be something that is talked about, that is offered as an option for people in whatever situation you feel that that is a good fit for them. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's important to remember too that the vasectomy is a much simpler operation than sterilization for oh, women. But a lot of husbands will insist, oh no, you have to have the surgery. I know yes. I'm getting a vasectomy, yes. which is well, so unfair. Because there's also the fear that they will lose part of their virility in yeah. the operation, et cetera, et cetera, and that they won't be able to use their penis anymore. That is another uh, myth. It's true. Yeah. They just chop it right off. Yeah. That's how it works. <laughs> You're asking how to help. You're not helping. <laughs> Making things worse. The alt-right's running with that. That's a meme. It's a meme right now. Well, be careful because now we're going to have to probe to see how your sex life is going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> because that begs the question just to prove that it's not the end of the world. Right. Um, okay, now I totally went on a tangent and I lost track of the, what can men do? Yes. Yeah. Uh, the other, one other thing that men can do is uh, really, really uh, talk about you know whether or not they want whether or not they want to have kids when they're in a, in a relationship and have that conversation as an open conversation. But again, we're not raised or educated to mm -hmm. feel comfortable with those topics. Another thing, can I add on to that? Uh, you sure. Can. Don't don't assume that your partner, because she's a woman, will just want a kid eventually, yeah. even yeah. if she or said no, because yeah. that's not how things work. <laughs> and don't think that you can make her change her mind. Yeah. yeah. And if she changes her mind, it's her yeah. 
you know, freedom to change your mind. Yeah. Uh, but I also link it very much to things as simple, quote unquote, as consent. Mm-hmm. Yes, enthusiastic and consent. En- enthusiastic consent and and just having that conversation too, because again, abortion is not just about getting rid of a fetus. Abortion is about sexuality. Mm-hmm. And how do you get pregnant? What happens? How did you get there? And there is a female body and a male body involved in that. And, um, you know, there are provisions most of the time that may not last forever around allowing abortions for uh, rape or incest. uh, And who knows how long those are going to stand. But again, is there that real conversation around what does it mean? That is about consent. Mm-hmm. And consent is something that starts, at, you know, you learn about it at a very early age. Yeah. So- and I think, like, when we did um, Fear of Sexuality, we kind of talked about it as well, where we just need to get better at talking about sex and just being honest with your partner um, and just making sure that you have those conversations and they might be difficult because we're not used to having them, uh, but they need to be had. And uh, one of the questions I was going to ask that I end up kind of getting rid of was when is it okay to have an abortion? And I, th- I think like just, I had a lot of trouble asking that question because I think any situation is okay to have an abortion. It's really up to the person who needs the abortion, whatever the reason is. So I don't think it's fair to say, oh, you know, if you're raped or or that whatever, that's a good reason to have it done. It's really up to that person. Yes, I think as a pro-choice person, like we don't, don't even have to agree with the reason that a person has an abortion. We could disagree with the reason, but still agree that she has the right to do that. Yeah, like, she right. could be making a mistake, but that's her right to make that mistake. Yeah. So uh, I think that's really important to remember. And just coming back to the issue of men and abortion, if I can mention Please. something there. I can. Uh, the, I agree with everything you said that was great within relationships. This consent is so important. But uh, I'm kind of thinking outside of that, too, as an activist, because um, we have a lot of uh, men, a minority but men uh, as members in our group and often they can be maybe more generous financially than some of the women they make more money I guess and uh, so that's fantastic and we really value the support of men and I'm not one of those people who say that men should never have any opinion on abortion Uh, I really think that men have an important role to play in supporting uh, women uh, not just in their relationships but uh, at large as well and remembering that it is men who get women pregnant so there is some responsibility there and uh, they can do things Things like you know, come to our rallies and events and uh, um, support uh, our statements and make their own poor choice statements. Um, there's so much that they can do, and I always appreciate uh, men's support. I mean, trolling the alt right back as a man, I think if uh, that's a great call. If you're if you're not, you know, if you don't have sort of several uh, minority identities that would kind of make you a target, by all means, please get out there on the internet, throw some memes around, and you know, some forums, kind of dampen the party a little bit. Uh, not everyone has the has the energy to do that, or people have been doing it for a long time and they're tuckered out. And as fathers, if if you have daughters and sons right. bring up those conversations. Mm-hmm. And also like just men need to be able to educate themselves more on it. Mm-hmm. And like if you have a friend that comes to you and tells you that they've had an abortion, they they trust you. And that's something big to tell somebody. So know how to have that conversation and how to 
you know, support your friend and or partner in whatever way possible. Uh, again, super big, broad question, um, but uh, the abortion discussion, the abortion uh, uh, landscape, as it were, um, what does it look like currently? Let's say you know here in North America, where where we are, um, and. Is it getting is it getting harder, easier, worse, better? Are those not even the right words to use when trying to describe the abortion conversation? Is conversation even the right word for it? Um, You're just questioning everything, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm I'm questioning my own questions, um, but. Where, where are we currently sitting uh, as the time of our taping, which is uh, uh, 2019? Where are we and, and where are we going? I look at the question from a slightly different perspective, and it's not in terms of uh, better, worse, um, harder, easier. harder, easier. For me, it's in terms of it's still uneven access. And... Uh, uh, unequal access and it's not something again that is uh, in a bubble we're talking about something that impacts the world and one of the reasons I say that is because if you have access here for example and you have people who come to study and they're here for a year or two and a young woman gets pregnant and she may want to access that service that is accessible here, not at home. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then comes in the whether they have uh, medical coverage or not. Uh, does their insurance, if they have private coverage, cover it or or not? Uh, back to what you were saying earlier, there are private uh, insurances that do not cover IUDs. Yeah. So, and that's... And they're a, so cute. It's like, it, I made my IUD into I mean, a necklace after I had it taken out. It's very adorable. Why would you cover an IUD? Okay. It's delightful. I heard an insurance guy who was asked the question specifically if their insurance company covered contraceptives and IUD, and he had no clue what an IUD meant. Gotcha. So, like, that's pathetic. So, uh, you know, the, the access around the world and across Canada is uneven. And again, there are um, poorer people uh, uh, or uh, people who have lesser means or who do not trust the medical system because they have uh, addictions or mental health issues that are going to sort of blur their, their need or uh, the requests that they're putting in who will not access help. And those are people who are at risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Things can go sideways in a hurry. Yeah. Um, well, I like to be an optimist as much as I can. And uh, there is um, definitely uneven access. And I like to describe it as like you can, it's almost easy to get an abortion in, in most major cities in Canada, at least Vancouver, Montreal, or Toronto. But as soon as you get outside of those cities, access just plummets. Mm-hmm. And so it's, I call it the rural-urban divide. So we really need to address that. But we do have um, the abortion pill now, Mifigimiso it's called. And so that's starting to make inroads uh, where more more doctors are signing up to be able to prescribe it. And some doctors doing telemedicine so they can get on to Skype with the doctor and don't have to travel. So if that can spread even more across all the provinces, that would be really, really good. 
and I'm, I'm hoping that that will happen in the years to come, that access will improve. I mean, Canada's a huge country, so uh, I mean, people living up north are going to have a hard time accessing any kind of health care, right. so it's never going to be perfect. Um, but um, when all is said and done, Canada is in a much better place access-wise than much of the rest of the world. But we could lose our keys at any time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's, yeah, wow. yeah, being vigilant. Oh, that is so, yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think that in addition to the medical aspect of it, uh, yes, it's great that there is uh, a pill and that you can, you can think in more remote areas have that access, which is really important. Uh, but then not having someone there with you who can explain what's going on, who can reassure you, uh, not having access to that type of support is something that is, is also um, missing and sort of not taking into consideration in the picture at this point in time because it is, you know, all of a sudden your body goes into shock and it's something that you've never experienced before because you don't experience abortion every month. Right, Even right. if you have horrible periods, it's... Despite what the right propaganda is saying, people are not experiencing abortions every month. <laughs> I'm sure there's a meme out there about that. Uh, so I guess you know uh, uh, to to uh, tie back a little bit. So uh, for for all of our guests here, um, what is uh, uh, what is a good way to to fight the fear of this particular episode's uh, subject matter, which is abortion? How how do we fight the fear of abortion? Portion. I would go back to what I was uh, saying throughout, which is really uh, educate oneself, but also ask uh, ask oneself why. You know, what is the fear? What is it rooted in? Mm, really good and, point. And so, if it's if it's religion, then fair enough. Then what are are you living your life fully? According to uh, the 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 religious belief that or the the religion that you are a follower of, mm. and uh, and what does that mean in your everyday life, as well in addition to your sexuality, uh, and it's also sort of always asking oneself if it happened to me. How would I feel about it? Yeah, put yourself in the other person's shoes. That's really important because it could be, you know, a super wide range of, uh, of, of reasons for wanting to have access to an abortion. And why would somebody be denied something that could, that is necessary at the time they're uh, requesting it, that can have a huge impact on their life? Uh, that is unfortunately not just connected to uh, to health, to physical health, to sexuality, to reproductive justice, but is also connected to the political setting, the economic, the social setting that we live in. So for example, a, a, a woman who decides to not have an abortion, but is going to divorce her husband is going to go through a lot more turmoil, especially financial and legal, than her husband or her ex-husband will ever. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of inequities and inequalities in 
the broad world we live in. And so fear of abortion is connected to all of those things. And it's a good question sometimes to question. <laughs> Thank you. That's why we're here. <laughs> and I think the fear of abortion is also related to uh, the silencing and the shame that people feel and uh, the stigma. I mean, I can pretty much guarantee you that all of you here and all your listeners too uh, know someone who's had an abortion. You may not actually know who that is or you might deny that, but actually in Canada, one in three or possibly one in four now women will have an abortion at some point in their lives. It's a very common procedure. And um, this is something that women do and they've always done it since the beginning of time. Women need to control their reproduction. And, uh, and it's not just like certain type of women having an abortion. It's this, uh, a woman can have uh, an abortion at one point in her life when it's not the right time and then later go on and happily have a baby. Yeah. So at the time she's pregnant with an unwanted pregnancy, she might be like, like this is awful, I've just got to get rid of this. And then when she's happily pregnant later, it's like, oh, it's my baby and she names it. And, and both those attitudes and reactions are perfectly normal. It can happen in the same woman. And so it's important to understand that this is just something that women do. And I think globally, it's more like, you know, half of women might have an abortion at some point in their lives. This is a very common thing. And, and laws do not stop women from having abortions. You can't just pass a law and expect women are going to obey it. They'll always find a way yeah. and that's one reason why we have the abortion pill today that was discovered by uh, women in South America they started using it because they realized that it would cause abortions and uh, so women will take control of it themselves yeah. and I'm also on the board of a group called women help women which is a global group that actually ships abortion pills to women oh. and uh, so women are doing self-managed abortions at home but they do have medical uh, supervision by mail and phone email and phone and there's been studies done um, showing that these abortions are just as safe as clinic abortions. Yeah. Well, and, and if we don't have the systems in place uh, to help women, uh, then we're going to go back to the day of coat hanger abortions and, and it's not safe for people. Um, and it's great that there's now a pill that even if the laws do change for the negative, that at least this pill exists that it can get out so that we don't have to go back to that. Yeah, it's a lot safer. It's not like totally safe if you have no medical supervision, but at least it's safer than a coat hanger. Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. I'll just echo, I think curiosity is, I think this is a topic that's hard to have curiosity about, you know, um, and I think whether people are pro-choice or pro-life, um, wondering about where the other person is coming from uh, and being able to have a little bit more curiosity than you're than you're comfortable with to try to try to imagine is is good and needed because eventually we're all going to have to talk to each other you yeah, know the apocalypse right. is coming we're going to be right. in the same bunker we're gonna have to play cards with these people you know what i mean like we're gonna have to work it out my phone so. battery's gonna die is that what you're saying oh, <laughs> right so I, I just i do think it's such a loaded thing and i've walked by um uh, pro-life protesters and i lose my mind sometimes it's just the thing where I just I lose all reason I want to get very rude I want to be very aggressive sometimes and and so it's like trying to trying to imagine where people are coming from no matter what your position is uh, as much as you have energy for I think is I think is uh, something that can take the fear out of out of anything yeah thank you um, so for, for every episode, we've gone a little, a little bit longer than I was planning, but that's all right. Um, so for every episode at the end, um, I go to Twitter and I find out the hashtag 
um, for whatever the subject is. Wow, uh, hashtag abortion was quite an interesting one to find stuff for. But, uh, and I did not- I'm actually not curious about that. (laughs) Sounds like a nightmare. (laughs) Um, But one thing that did come up um, was, uh, I was reading an article recently, and I saw it on the news as well, um, that a woman in Alabama was recently shot and charged with manslaughter because her unborn child died. Um, Now, when are things going to change so ridiculous things like that don't happen? Uh, when, um, um, when, when people are going to support more the idea of, uh, of free choice for, uh, for abortion for women and when men are going to support that as well behind the women, <laughs> as we were saying earlier. Um, we came close to that. And I think that that's how I got in touch with, uh, for the very first time with uh, with Joyce, that it was quite a few years ago, um, uh, Bill C-48 mm-hmm. was about giving the status of a person or child to, to a fetus mm-hmm. to say if a woman is attacked and it's a pregnant woman, then the criminal sentence will be higher or the criminal charges will be heavier because there are two lives that have been taken mm. and uh, so that's uh, what is that what the, the uh, women's movement and the feminist movement call the backdoor strategy right and it also begs the question so why is a woman's life so unimportant right that it has to be helped by the presence of an unborn life mm. to all of a sudden you know, matter in the legal have, system have, have yeah right. a life of its own in the, in the legal system so what are we missing there yeah so when you say like backdoor um, law you mean kind of like by having that approved the the right wingers could be like haha now you've said that a fetus is a human life we got gotcha. you now we can do all the rest of this I think it's backdoor backdoor also because they they claim that it's about protecting women's health we're protecting pregnant women from attackers and you know they might lose their baby but what's actually happened I mean these laws in the states and about thirty eight states have these so called fetal homicide laws um, and uh, what's happening though is that they were aimed supposedly at a third party attacker right right but actually mostly hundreds of women, pregnant women, have been arrested under these laws because they've used drugs or uh, they decided to have a a natural birth instead of a cesarean and went against their doctor's orders or they had a stillbirth. Uh, So it's shocking that women are being criminalized uh, unless they have a healthy pregnancy. So these are so-called crimes that uh, are not crimes for anyone else except for pregnant women. Wow. Wow. I feel like I've learned so much. You're looking at me like I'm going to have a joke to make that fun again, and I don't. I'm not that. Yeah, no joke there? No joke oh, for that. Right. That's, that's to, a real uh, bummer. Uh, to, and to, to, tie, to tie up your uh, the thing that you, you um, searched up on, on Twitter, um, it did come about that, uh, that prosecutors in Alabama did ultimately drop uh, the uh, manslaughter charge against the woman. After, of course, uh, a big outcry and a big, big movement by people, um, uh, you know, reaching out to their politicians and to uh, and to the, uh, I'm assuming the the DA's uh, office and made their voices heard. So, um, yay, people power! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get up there and warm up the speculum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. Uh, Jeff, I I learned a lot, and um uh, and I, I I learned a, a heck of a lot by listening way more than uh, uh than by talking. So, yeah. um, thank you all so much for coming in and and uh, uh and educating us and educating our fear of science listeners, um uh, here today. Now, before we wrap up, uh, of course, uh, for people who would like more information uh, about you and, and uh, the places that you represent, um, could you share, uh, where can people find out more about you and what you do? Okay, Vancouver Women's Health Collective. We um, have a shortened version of our name as a URL. It's www.womenshealthcollective.ca. Perfect. Nice. And uh, uh, I'm with the Abortion Rights Coalition of Canada. Probably the easiest way is to search on that term. Our website is a bunch of acronyms. <laughs> uh, but we have a very active Facebook page as well. So go to Facebook, search for Abortion Rights Coalition. You'll find us. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Nice. And if you're interested in uh, learning more about The Rape is Real Show, uh, our website is rapeisreal.com maybe .ca, I don't remember. And uh, on Facebook, we're actually sexual assault is present and pervasive because they don't let you put rape in the name of a Facebook page, which really? is probably good. But uh, anyway, so yeah, that's where you can find out about the show. Thank you. And for us, you can uh, find us on all of your favorite podcast players. We are also on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Yeah, and thank you very much for, for being here. And uh, thank you very thank much you. to Vancouver Public Library for hosting us in the wonderful Inspiration Lab. Yeah. Ow, ow, thank you. <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thank you.